Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for the second week of our two-week focus on anxiety, depression, and suicide. And we're calling it the struggle because that's exactly what it is. And, I, and I'm joined again, um, and for some of you, uh, I wasn't here last week because I was sick, but um, Ike Patterson, our pastor of Life Care, is with us, and he and I are going to talk through some of this stuff. Last week, we tried to help you know what you needed to know in, at a high level. Today, we're going to turn the corner and talk about what you need to do if this is you. What do you need to do if this is someone you love that is struggling with these things? And none of this is serious, and it's deep, and it's heavy. I get it. Uh, let me kind of remind you, we're not doing therapy today if if you feel like being here keeps you from having to go see someone, no, no, this is not therapy. We're not going to fix anything. We're not going to solve anything. What we're hoping to do is empower you to know what next steps to take. And I, what I want us to do right up front is talk a little bit about fear because fear plays a huge role when it comes to anxiety, depression, suicide, uh, fear, and specifically, our desire to control our lives and control our surroundings. Because, you know, we talked about this before, how fear really has its roots in control. I want to control my world. You want to control your world. I want to control what happens in my life. You want to control what happens in your life. That's a human thing. You don't feel bad for desiring to kind of have a say in what happens to you. But when we realize we can't control and we don't have as much control as we would like or as we would think or as we would hope, then that throws us into fear and we start freaking out and then pour in the anxiety you know, dive into depression, even to the point where we begin to struggle with thoughts of harm and even to the point of suicidal thinking. You know, I, you came up, and I'm not sure if you came up with it, but you shared with me, you probably came up with it because it's really cool and you're, you're, you're very smart. So um, you, you shared with me a couple of acronyms for fear. One is not what we should do, but the other is. You want to share those with us? Because I think this applies to everything we're going to talk about today. Yeah, whenever we face any kind of fear, it brings up, like we talked about last week, the fight or flight or freeze defense mechanism in our body. So the very first thing, uh, the first acrostic I want you to look at is forget everything and run. That's a reaction. That's the fight or flight reaction that we have. We immediately have to, to avoid addressing this issue. So we would call that a reaction, an anxiety re reaction. The second thing is much more responsive. We have to think about this. And whenever we face fear, we can also, we have the alternative to face everything and rise. We make decisions. This is a response to the fear that is around us. Uh, the interesting thing about this is this is very biblical. Do you remember over and over again throughout the scriptures, the Bible says, be not afraid. 365 times. Every day of the year, there is a response from God saying, be not afraid. And then he gives an action to it. Trust in me. Rely on me. Let go of things. So face everything and rise as opposed to just running away. You know, another distinction I see with this is this, when we forget everything and run, that's what freaking out looks like. 
Right? When people say, well, I'm just freaking out right now. I'm just freaking out. You're probably forgetting everything and you're running. You're looking for an escape. You're looking for a, you know, a hatch to fall through or jump through or, or get out of. That, that's freak out mode. We've all been in freak out mode. I get in freak out mode from time to time. Uh, this bottom one, facing everything and rise, that's, that's a response of faith. Right? It's freaking out versus faith. And it's a choice that we can make. Is so very important. So I think this is a great foundation to build from because so many of the things that lead to anxiety, depression, suicidal thinking, and all that finds its roots in fear and control. So I, I want us to kind of jump in now and, and kind of talk about what we can do. Mm-hmm. If we feel like, okay, yeah, anxiety is controlling my life. I, I, I'm disabled by this. I can't, I can't function or I'm so depressed. And I don't mean like I'm having a bad day. My team lost last night. You know, no, I'm talking about like real stuff. Cause I get that. Cause my team lost last <laughs> night too. Um, and, and, and real suicidal thinking, not just the escapist stuff. So here, here's what we want to encourage you to do. If you or someone you love struggling with anxiety, depression, suicide. The first thing you got to do, we're talking about what you can do now, all right, is admit it. Mm-hmm. Admit it. Not deny it. No, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm sure it'll pass. It's just a phase. It's just a feeling. It's just a, no, no. You, it, admit it. Look it in the face. Call the bull a bull. It's just what it is. I don't know where the bull comment came from. It's not like from Texas or anything, but you know, you just kind of, <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with depression. Depression. I'm having suicidal thoughts and, and patterns. I, could you talk to us about you know, what that looks like, admitting it? Yeah. For all three of these, admitting it means that, uh, as we mentioned last week again, is to, first of all, understand that this is not our identity. We don't define our, our personality or who we are by the fact that we're struggling. It's actually just our struggle. And it is giving us some definition about how God's leading us in this. In terms of anxiety, I would suggest that that means we diffuse it by gaining more knowledge. We need to understand how anxiety is affecting our life, how it is creating functionality issues for us, Uh, being open to understand it and honest about struggling with it. Uh, that also means sometimes that it affects our body. We need to know how it affects our body, what's going on with us, and then telling other people, telling family members about it. Yeah. Diffusing by knowledge. And that, mm-hmm. that's getting true, getting mm-hmm. real. Because anxiety is based on mistruths a lot of times, misinformation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what, you know, I, I feel like it's going to happen. It's what I think is going to happen. It's what I fear is going to happen, not actually what is happening and yes. what will happen. And so that, that is a control mechanism and admitting anxiety. Now, now admitting you're dealing with depression is huge because there's so many stereotypes swirling yeah. around depression. So many stereotypes. Uh, that, oh, oh, he's depressed. Oh, she's depressed. Oh, oh. And so people hide it. And they, and they go underground with it. And by the way, and I don't think, I'm not sure if we've mentioned this yet, but these things, anxiety, depression, suicide, um, it's not a woman thing. It's not a man thing. It's a people thing, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not an old person thing, middle-aged, oh, they're going through middle-aged crisis. Okay, no, it, it's, it's a life thing. Young, old, male, female. Uh, there are no 
people that are exempt from this, Christian, non-Christian, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week, is that admitting, I'm struggling with depression. I, take us a little mm-hmm. bit further. Well, you just mentioned some of the stereotypes in our culture. You are weak, you're not enough, you have mental illness, and we start living in those stereotypes. But it means that we start confronting it. Admitting means that we are aware that it is human, that we are human, that we're struggling. That's the very first step. You know, one of the greatest skills as I grow older, and I'm getting really old now, but as I grow older, one of the greatest skills of being an adult is learning how to be self-aware. Aware of what's going on in my body, aware of how I'm thinking, aware of how people are reacting or responding to things that I say. Having self-awareness with anxiety and depression is huge in our life. And then admitting that it's a struggle for us is huge. Another uh, phrase you may hear thrown around in society today when we talk about self-awareness is emotional intelligence. Um, And that is being aware of what's going on in your thinking, in your feelings, and and then how that affects how you interact with the world around you and with people around you. Admitting this to yourself is huge. And being willing to admit it to other people. Because here's the deal. They know it. Everybody else, you have no idea what it's like to be on the other side of you, but everybody else does. And so all you're doing is admitting what is probably very obvious to some, the, some of the people around you. And they may not know what's going on, but they know something's up. So admitting anxiety, depression, and I, when you get to talking about suicide, this gets to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. You t- talk to us about that. Yeah. With, with suicidal thoughts, it means that we admit that we come to the place where we need to be honest with ourselves about our thoughts and what we're thinking. The best way to describe this, and I've used this over and over again with our folks as we minister to them, but the best way to describe this is if your thoughts are more about death and dying than they are about life and living, then you are in danger and you need to do something about it. If you're thinking more and more and more about ending your life, then you are in danger and you cannot do this by yourself. So at that point, it's admitting that I need help and I've got to do something about this to turn it around. I've heard people often say things, well, I I don't want to admit this. I don't want to say it out loud. I don't even, I don't want anyone to say the word in my presence, anxiety, depression, suicide, because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I don't want people to think I've just lost it. No, no, here's the deal. No, it's, it's not about, forget, forget what people think. You forget, we're, this is your life we're talking about here. This is your joy we're talking about here. This is, this is your livelihood we're talking about here. Okay, forget everybody else. You got to be honest and self-aware and admit. And it's not, not about people thinking this or thinking that. It's about you being responsible. You being responsible and taking responsibility for what's going on in your life and facing it. Which moves us to the second thing. And that's just not just admit it, I'm dealing with anxiety, depression, suicide, but fight it. And a lot of people don't realize they can fight it. You are not a victim. You've heard us say this before. You are not a victim. You may have been victimized. Somebody may have done something horrible to you. Life may have thrown you a bad deal to, to, to play. Okay, fine. You may have been victimized, but you still are not a victim. And you don't have to... F- live the life of a victim. You don't have to make choices like a victim. You can 
fight this. And it may be the fight of your life. Maybe the toughest thing you've ever had to fight, but you do not have to roll over and just kind of let it happen. You can actually, like we talked about, rise up, face everything, and rise up and fight it. All right. Yeah, it, uh, fighting it means that I've become active in my recovery. Yeah, it's, it, sometimes with anxiety, we would use the word fight, fight the feelings, and they exaggerate and grow, escalate even stronger. We're talking about taking a step toward being active in your own recovery. In terms of anxiety, fighting it means that I become aware of the triggers that are setting off some of the fears that I'm having, how my body is responding to things, how stressors are affecting me, and being honest about it and then trying to seek out, if I'm active in my recovery, I'm trying to seek out assistance in how to be able to treat it. Get help. Whether that's in therapy, counseling, or seeing a doctor, it's important for us to be able to take that step with anxiety because it can escalate and lead further. Okay? You do not have to just let it happen and hope it goes away. That's right. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not how you fight it. If all you have, now hope is important, but if your hope is about, I just hope it gets better, well, I'm just going to, I'll just wait it out, wait it out, wait it out. You are setting yourself up for failure and continued pains. Here's what a lot of people don't realize, especially when it's other people in their lives. This is suffering, okay? You are suffering with anxiety. You are suffering with these things. And so you do not have to just resign yourself to this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. You can roll up your sleeves, get active in your own recovery and fight this thing. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to depression, fighting depression, that, um, that can be a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. Uh, it, it almost always will involve getting help from outside. You want right. to talk to us about that? With fighting depression, uh, you need to become determined that you're going to do something about it. Because our natural tendency with depression is to sit down and remain in our misery. So with depression, being active in depression, I need to start seeking help. Uh, I need to seek out professional help if that's necessary. I need to do moderate exercise to be able to release endorphins. We are in the season of the year where SAD, seasonal affective disorder, is very effective, so you need vitamin D, you need sunlight, because many of you during this time of year have this blue period of depression. You may need to do something that's like that. That's why a lot of people, that's why depression and these kinds of things seems to be more rampant during January and February in the winter months, because mm -hmm. it's, people don't get out as much. They're inside more. That's also why we get sick more, by the way. You know, well, I'm just going to stay in, oh, you know, kind of thing. We all get freaked out about, you know, all the stuff that's going around, but Getting outside, taking a walk. Now, moderate exercise, you don't mean everybody's got to start doing CrossFit and all no. that, you know. And nothing wrong with that. But you know that someone asked me the other day if I did CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> I was, hopped up in the back of my truck to grab something. And, and it was and an older lady, and she said, ooh, do you do that CrossFit thing? And I said, actually, no, I'm, I'm more into the cross and not so much the fit. <laughs> And she didn't know I was a pastor, so she didn't know how funny that was. I was just amusing myself. <laughs> so no, you, right, you get out, get out, take a walk, take right. a walk. Just, just get your blood flowing, let the sunlight hit your eyes. And 
It, these things are real. Right. These things help. And, and the thing about depression when you're fighting it is that one of the symptoms of depression is that you just want to crawl in a hole. You want to stay in bed all the time. Well, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go out. You don't want to stay in a dark room. You just want to, you know, veg and watch Netflix all the time kind of thing. You know, you just don't want to don't leave. No. So you have to fight by getting active and, and getting out there. And then I, what does fighting look like when we start looking at suicidal thinking? Right. Uh, we've already talked about learning that if my thoughts are more about death and dying than life and living, to fight it means that I've got to do something about it. If I'm in danger that way, then I need to start seeking out help, telling people, telling my doctor, my family doctor, that I'm struggling with this, family members. And it also means, Jonathan, to address the tunnel vision that sometimes happens with, uh, with suicidal thinking. We get into this pattern of thinking that this is the only way, it is the only option, and I can't have any other peace in my life other than just dying. That's the solution. Let me tell you something. Suicidal thoughts are not rational. Hmm. They're not logical. They're distortions in your brain. So we have to address that tunnel vision and redirect some of these distortions. One of the most important things is for you to know that God has plans for your life that's beyond your current pain. He has a purpose for you that's moving out into the future. So if we eliminate by our own choices what God has in store for us, then we're defeated in the way that we think. Can I address a little bit more about this in terms of thinking? Yeah, 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 Because please. in all three of these areas with anxiety and depression and suicide, it has to do with the way that we're thinking. Our cognitive responses or our cognitive areas in our brain where we're thinking about things. And the tendency in all three of these areas is to think negatively or always think that we are not enough and get distorted and distracted into truth, into things that are not true. They're lies that we believe. So the scripture makes this real clear that we are supposed to address this in our life. Uh, Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Important word. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And then he says, we take, uh, we take captive every thought that we have to make it obedient to Christ. That's called cognitive behavior. We take those thoughts and act them out in such a way. So what does it mean, these strongholds? These strongholds are sometimes distorted thinking, distorted thoughts that have become entrenched in our mind. They're beliefs that we have about ourselves that may not be true. Something's wrong with me. I'm a failure. Self-doubt, guilt, uh, abandonment fears out of our past. We have to start turning these things around, taking them captive and going, that's not accurate about me and my life. According to Christ, I am a victor. I'm not a victim. And that's that process of turning it around. This is how we fight in all three of these areas. You know, I, the mental image came when I'm sitting here listening to you. It's like taking a thought captive, okay, a, strong, a stronghold in your mind. You're thinking a, a distorted thought, whether it's an anxiety thing, a depression thing, a suicidal thing. If you can think about kind of taking your thought and, and visualize, taking your thought 
and looking at it and thinking about it. Right. Right. Take the thought. If you could take the thought out of your brain and hold it out there and look at it and think about that thought. What is this thought true? Is this thought good? Is this thought healthy? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Is this something that God would want me to think about? Or is this from the Satan? Right. Is this an evil thing? Is it so taking your that's what this is talking about. Taking your thoughts out. Just mentally, you can't, you know, really do that. But, you know, just exercise. Take it out. Let me think about what I'm thinking here. Right. And what kind of thought is this? And this kind of leads us right to the, maybe the most important thing of this whole thing is learning what it means to not just admit it and fight it, but entrust it. Entrust this anxiety, this depression, this battle with suicidal thinking. Entrust it to the one and the only one who ultimately can carry you through it. Mm -hmm. To the one who made you, who created you, who created that brain, who created that soul, who created and gave you this life. Entrusting this battle to God himself and leaning into him and leaning on him. Just listen, just for a moment, okay? Isaiah writes in the Old Testament, look at this, this is just fantastic. God says to Isaiah, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up by my victorious right hand. That's why we entrust these things to God. He says, bring it to me. Come on, bring it to me. I got it. I got it, and I got you. Paul writes to the Philippians in the first century and kind of shows us the role of prayer and how prayer fits into anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, no matter what it is, by prayer and petition, and that's just prayer and sharing your thoughts with God, calling out to God, entrusting it to God, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Or verbalize, not because God doesn't know what's going on, but something happens when you begin to pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father. And watch what happens. And the peace of God which transcends every, anything. I can't even explain it to you because it's beyond understanding. It's something you're going to have to experience. It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Notice, he didn't say that all your problems will go away, that whatever's making you anxious goes away, that whatever is leading to these depressive thoughts or suicidal thinking will go away. He didn't say your situations will necessarily change immediately, but you will begin to change. You will begin to be transformed you will begin to experience inner healing because that's his promise. That's right. And, and then one more. This, this one's huge. I love this one because it's so graphic. Peter writes, and this is from Peter's experience, that we should cast all our anxiety on God, on Christ, on him, because he cares for us. Mm-hmm. I love that. That, that cast um, imagery. I'm a, you know, Fisher guy, fisherman. So, you know, the, the immediately I think of casting, you know, like casting a fishing rod or <laughs> casting, throwing something off, just getting rid of it, casting it aside or just the word dump comes to mind. I'm going to dump it on him. You know, here you go. I'm going to offload this onto God. That is a very graphic but helpful image. I mean, that's exactly what we got to get in the habit of doing. I'm going to cast this off, cast mm-hmm. this off and trusting and trusting God, because ultimately he's the only one. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. And when it comes to these areas with anxiety, depression, and suicide, what does it mean to entrust it to him? Well, uh, Max Licato, one of the great authors, great children's author especially, 
once said, you cannot run the world, we cannot run the world, but we can entrust it to the one who does run the world. And so it's a, a conscious effort if we're having anxiety, a conscious effort to be able to realize that I have to give this over to someone who's greater than I, someone who can help me. Oftentimes we feel alone, we think we're alone, but the truth of the scripture that we just saw together says that God will never leave us alone. So we have to capture that and then entrust it over to him. When it comes to depression, it means that God cares for us and wants us and teaches us to learn to rely on him. Do you remember last week when I talked about Elijah talking to God, talking out his feelings to God? That's exactly what God wants us to do in our depression, be honest with him about how we feel. He will not make you a greasy spot on the floor with lightning because you tell him that you don't trust him anymore. He wants you to be honest. And if you're struggling, if you have depression, you're struggling with reading the scripture, I want you to contact me. I want you to email me here at the church. I've got some Bible resources to be able to help you read the Bible about this. When it comes to suicide, learning to entrust the one who gave you life and wants you to have more life. It's about giving over and trusting him in this, uh, allowing God to be able to bring life back to us when all we see is death. It's asking him to bring light and hope and back into our lives. Yeah, that's awesome. I, there for a moment, I thought you were going to give out your phone number, and I'm like, no, don't, no, stop. The church's no. number. Right, here's his phone number, 867-530. All right, I, I'm here for the, the comic relief because this is so tense. I get it, I get it, I understand. What if you're sitting there and you're going, this is great, but I don't feel like I'm the one that's struggling. Right. But my husband is, and he won't talk to anybody. My wife is, and she refuses to get help. My children are, my grandchildren are. I have a brother, I have a sister, I have a close friend. What if someone you love is struggling with these things? How do, how do you need to go about taking steps to help them? And so we're going to put this up here and talk about it just for a moment. Ike, walk us through this. If someone in your life is struggling with anxiety, depression, and suicide, here's some things that we want people to keep in mind. Yeah. The only way that they will be able to seek help is if you model patience for them. Begin by being patient, understanding, trying to get them to talk with you about what's going on. Building a supportive and encouraging dialogue. That's one of the best things that you can do. Secondly, speak hope and grace into their life. Not blame or shame. Uh, not criticism. Not fault finding. You know, you, it, your mother did this and you're being just like your mother. That does not help. Um, empathy and understanding is the language of unlocking the silent, hurting person. Express empathy, understanding toward them. And then intervene when danger is apparent. When you're starting to see that some of these symptoms are growing and there are some areas where they're becoming more and more isolative and moving away from you, you need to intervene by seek, encouraging them to seek out some help in, this, in these areas. And you don't have to understand what they're going through to do this, okay? Because I hear, I hear spouses say this all the time. Well, I just don't understand what he's going through. Well, it doesn't make sense to me what she's saying. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to make sense to you, okay? 
you don't have to sign off on it and approve it for them to have it. Please get that. Okay, please understand that. And, and so you can do these things, even though you have no clue what they're going through, you can be supportive. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, okay, this is my child. This is my grandchild. They have a teenager. This is a whole, this is rampant. If there is an adolescent in your life that is struggling with anxiety, showing signs of depression or suicidal thinking, self-harm, I mean, it, it's, it's epidemic. Let me put this next screen up. I, let's, let's talk about this. If there are adolescents in your life, before we're done, we, we got to touch on this. Yeah. Uh, very important. We have so many adolescents, teenagers sitting in our offices in life care that say, you know, I just don't feel like that my parents are on my team. Um, they constantly criticize me. They want me to, they want to tell me how to live. And part of this is just being an adolescent. I mean, if you want to blame anybody, God's already planning in their heart the desire to get out of your house. He wants them out of your house. Amen. <laughs> and it's not you making the mistake as much as it's them wanting to have their own life. It's the way God designed it. But it's very important as a parent, if, especially if we're having uh, teenagers that are beginning to move away from speaking to us, express how to be on their team. And the best way that we know how to do that is for you to speak blessing into their life. Blessing out of the Old Testament always talked about pointing out their, their strengths, talking about how good they are with such a thing uh, as school or in sports or in computers. Uh, being involved in their life to the point that you can express their uniqueness. Tell them how much of a blessing they are to the family. Talk about what your wishes are for them in the future. Not that they would follow in your path, but that whatever God has in store for them, you believe in them. So this is being on their team is the first step. The second thing is for, is for you to begin to speak grace and truth. Truth is the side where you're going, this behavior is not appropriate. It's going to harm you. you got to stop this stuff. Everybody needs to speak truth to your teenager but are you also speaking grace to them? Do you speak love and acceptance? We will always love you. Whatever you do, you're always a part of us. We have some suggestions about the choices that you're making that may not be the best choice for you. Balance grace and truth in everything you say to them. And then learn all you can about their behavior, about what's going on in their world, uh, about um, their friends, Observe the changes and challenges. Get educated to depression and anxiety in teenagers, in cutting behavior in teenagers. Learn all you can about that. And we're going to give you resources mm -hmm. uh, before you leave today to help you with that in educating yourself and those you love about, about these things. Um, it is so important. I, before we pray and, and, and move to the you know, different part of the service, I wanted to share with you just an analogy that I think will help. I think it'll help if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, suicide, or if you're facing anything. This is just a great analogy. And here's the deal. You, you have got to find something to anchor your life with. You have got to find an anchor. 
And I know that's nautical terms, and maybe you're not into, you know, sailing or boating or all that kind of thing. In other words, you've got to find something in your life that can stabilize you, hold you together, be a foundation in your life. But here's the important thing. Whatever you choose to anchor you has to be something that doesn't move. Has to be something that doesn't change. Has to be something that doesn't shift, which means our spouse can't be our anchor. Now, it may be romantic to say about your husband, well, he's my rock. Man, that's great. Okay. He may be a rock, but he's a lousy anchor because he's going to change. She may be your world, but she's a lousy anchor. You cannot build your life on another person because people change. People go up, highs, down, lows. You cannot anchor your life with a job. Jobs come and go. You can't anchor your, job, your, your life with money. You can't anchor your life on feelings. You can't anchor your life on present circumstances. And I hear it, we say it all the time. Well, as long as everything stays just like it is right now. It's not going to stay just like it is right now. You have got to anchor your life on the only one who does not change in the only thing that we have promised that is unchanging. And that is Christ. Who he says you are. His promises, his word, you anchor and stabilize your life with him so that not if, but when everything else changes and everything else shifts and everything else in your life that causes anxiety and depression and to the point of suicidal thinking, all of that stuff starts happening. He will ground you. He will stabilize you. Not that you won't be unaffected, but you will survive and you will thrive anchoring yourself in him. So just keep that mental image. Ike, could you pray for us and pray for them as we wrap up this time together? Sure, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are unchanging. You are stable. You are eternal. And you know us and you love us. Your word tells us that you made us a little lower than the angels. Just crowned us as the jewel of all creation. And if you feel that way about us, then you know also about our sadness and our fears and our dark times and the times that we want to end our life because of our pain. But God, you are purposeful. You accept us and love us. You create for us support and understanding. You give us people to talk to that can change perspectives. And you teach our family how to love us the way that we need to be loved. God, speak into these hearts that may be hurting today, giving them a sense of your power and your grace and your wisdom to live in your strength. Help us learn what it means to entrust our lives in your hands and to follow you. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.